Scripture reading today comes to us from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. That's Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to remember that as Paul is writing this letter, he's a prisoner in Rome. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He has lost his freedom to work and to minister. He's experiencing isolation. He is in much need, probably going through just bare subsistence level, and perhaps experiencing or living through the saddest part of his life as he's probably anticipating a trial before Caesar, leading to his um, execution. And in this context, the Philippian church has heard of this need, and they sent him necessities through Epaphroditus. He's finishing up the letter, and he wants to give thanks to God for the generosity that he has received from this church. This church is the only church that has partnered with him from the beginning of his ministry. And they were able to send him gifts. They might have sent him money or some food or some clothes, a combination. And Apostle Paul wants to give thanks to God for this. A month ago, I I spoke about uh, on the theme, the first half of chapter 4, what it means to experience the peace of God that transcends all understanding Um, Apostle Paul reminding the Philippians to learn from him, learn the stability that can be found in the Lord. And now he wants them to know know and learn what uh, biblical contentment looks like and learn from him. Now the word contentment, um, a Greek word, um, comes from two parts. Well, the Greek word is... um, Autarkeia, um, archeo, the, the, the verb means to be full or satisfied. And out, uh, you probably heard this word from auto, means self. So it's 
combining two uh, words to mean that you're being satisfied by yourself. So it, it reveals self-sufficiency, satisfied being enough, and it, it suggests this independence, um, lack of necessity for aid or help. So you're okay. You don't need help from an outside. And Apostle Paul learned what it means to have this contentment, whether he had little, as he is experiencing now, or whether much, when he had before. That circumstances do not matter, but that this is something that he had to learn. It didn't come naturally as he came to um, understand and experience the gospel. It's something that he had to learn. It was a secret that he had to learn as he went through the highs and the lows. When everything is going right and you reach the top and you get what you've been working for and you realize that it still doesn't satisfy you, you're reminded that only God can fully satisfy. When you um, hit rock bottom, maybe experience loss of health, loss of life of loved ones, losing a job, having less money, we are to learn as we find ourselves in such places as this, that at the end, we ultimately only have God to be content with and that we're living toward eternity as we trust in him. Whether in difficult, hard places or happy, abundant places, um, we're reminded that we learn as we go through these extreme um, seasons. And we realize that, and we have to learn that this joy, this, this contentment doesn't depend on where we are, but it should depend on who we are with, that the sovereign God is with us. There's some people, however, though, and perhaps we may find ourselves resonating with this, that we find ourselves discontent when we have little, miserable when we're not living or surrounded by luxury. Preachers of health and wealth gospel don't help with this because they repeat this kind of message. And this isn't biblical contentment because biblical contentment teaches us to be content even when we have little. On the flip side, there are those of people in history and even now who find this contentment when they have a lot. So they take intentional vows of poverty. They are only um, content when they're suffering, when they have lack. This isn't biblical contentment either. A Christian who is maturing, when he or she is in trouble, will be reminded that we have to, he has to, she has to work on her heart that the love of God is enough for us to stay content. And when things are going well and we're experiencing prosperity, we have to learn that we have to work on our hearts again. And remember that this abundance that God is giving us right now, this allotment that God is portioning us now, isn't the cake, but it's mere frosting, the icing on top. And we are to... Use that to bless others and look toward what awaits us in eternity. Contentment, biblical contentment, is really about working 
on our hearts. Apostle Paul here is experiencing the bottom, the little, bare subsistence, and he's trusting in God's providence and is able to give thanks. You know, we live in a day and age where no longer do we define needs as basic food, shelter, and clothes. We have developed new needs. Um, you know, ever since people like Freud and Maslow um, define human life in terms of needs and meeting needs, we live in a day and an age where culture is defining and redefining needs, where now we have more needs than wants. Don't get me wrong, Paul isn't denying that there are difficulties and hard circumstances. But he is challenging us, reminding us that we can learn what it means to be content when we have little. Now we watch and consume more media than ever before because we are at home. And I think a warning that we need to heed is the media we consume essentially works to produce discontentment. It moves us, pushes us to consume. Because the programs or the web pages that we visit are mere incidentals. At the core of this sort of engine is the commercial or the advertisements that drives all of that, making us discontent so that we would buy and consume something. And thus we find ourselves discontent with what we have, what we don't have, what we look like or don't look like, what we do for work, where we work, where we live, who we're dating, what, who we are married to, just to list a few. And here Apostle Paul reminds us that he has learned to be content. And yes, brothers and sisters, we too can and ought to learn this contentment. Paul also reminds us that he knows what it means to live in prosperity, how to abound, how to be filled with earthly goods and supply. You know, one thing that um, I've learned with the short-term mission team when we um, go to the Philippines is a, a glimpse of contentment. This year, we are not able to go, but when we do go there, we learn to appreciate the simple things in life, like water to shower with, a fan, cold drink, a simple meal, basic transportation where you can sit straight, and just a just few bug bites a day. Just a few. But the longer you stay abroad and living in those kind of places, harder it becomes in some ways to be content when you return to abundance. There grows in our heart this level of discontent that is coupled with this judgmental attitude. Oh, all the excess of those who live in countries like this. All the waste all the ungratefulness that we see, forgetting that we were just like that 10 days before. When I um, hear missionaries who serve long-term in thorough countries, um, they share that sometimes it's very hard to reacclimate to the abundant culture of North America, and they find that critical judgmental attitude seeping profusely and they realize that they need time to adjust because they're not content yet with the abundance that the Lord has availed 
in this season now that they have returned. And contentment is something that we do still need to learn. Right now we see people who, are, who fall into despair. And I think uh, there are basically two camps um, in when people are turned to despair and even consider taking their lives. One camp is when they discover that they will never get to their dream. They have these longings, these dreams that they've been waiting for, working towards, and they realize they can't get to these dreams, and they feel hopeless. And at the other end of the spectrum are those who have gone all the way to achieving, attaining that dream that they've been working and waiting for. And now that they have arrived, they feel empty, cheated, and yes, hopeless. You probably have seen people, the celebrities who've reached and attained certain status that people would dream of, and yet falling into despair, and people who have lost everything and falling into despair. There's a guy by the name of Boris Becker, amazing tennis player, um, a German former uh, world number one ranking um, who turned pro at the age of 17 in 1984. I know that this, uh, you know, reveals how old I am. He, he won six major singles titles, including three Wimbledons, two Australian Open, and one U.S. Open. Um, so he started in 84, and he won the first Wimbledon in 85 and 86, back-to-back. And he even helped West Germany, before Germany um, united, defend their Davis Cup title. And he had achieved so much, yet I read about his bout with depression and suicidal ideation in early 1990s. In 1989, he won both Wimbledon and U.S. Open. Yet, having reached the peak, he shared about his bouts with depression and thoughts of ending his life. One wise person said, one of the scariest things in life is to see a dream come true and realize its emptiness. Because nothing in this life is big enough to fill that void. It can never be significant enough. It's actually a pointer to help us realize that only God is big enough to fill that void. Apostle Paul was speaking and teaching at a time when the term contentment was used by another group of people called the Stoics. Now, their understanding of contentment was different. It was a, it was a contentment of total indifference, where you just became apathetic. It's like, I don't care kind of attitude. So it removed any feeling and emotion and emphasized this state of apathy and indifference. One uh, Stoic of the time said this, begin with a cup or a household utensil. If it breaks, say, I don't care. Go on to a horse or a pet dog. If something happens to it, say, I don't care. Go on to be yourself. And if you hurt, you're hurt or injured in some way, say, I don't care. And if you go on long enough, and if you try hard enough, you'll come to a state when you can walk your nearest and dearest suffer and die and say, I don't care. 
I had a friend in high school who really lived this out, and it really bothered me that he didn't care when all these things happened. It almost sounds, felt like he just like, closed off his heart. Now, Apostle Paul is using the same Greek word that was being used. However, when he's using the word contentment, it's anything but apathetic because he cares deeply for the Lord and for the people he's ministering to, even as he is in jail. Learning the secret of contentment is not something that happens automatically. Even Apostle Paul had to learn. He had to learn. And it's a secret that he had to find as he went through the highs and the lows of life. The word um, learning the secret comes from a pagan, uh, pagan uh, religious cult where you, you're initiated into it. And Paul's using this to describe the, the uniqueness in the way he has learned. That, um, and he, he wants the Philippians to also learn this secret of contentment. Now, when, when you get to verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, you probably heard that verse written in many contexts, but I want to emphasize what this doesn't mean, just to bring clarity, just in case because you, you might have heard a sermon like this. Verse 13 doesn't mean that you can chase your dreams and follow your passion and accomplish anything you want because God's going to help you do that. This verse isn't about that. The context is not about that. It's about uh, finding Christ and cherishing him as supremely satisfying and sufficient. That's what this verse is about. Not about you pursuing whatever you think and as long as you're pursuing that, God's going to enable you to live out that dream. Whether you're in the big leagues, you're called to praise his name. Or later on, if you're playing in the D leagues, you still praise his name. Um, I used to think of Jeremy Lin a lot. I still do once in a while. Um, we are called to learn to be content when we receive everything we have wanted and also, when we receive nothing we have wanted. You know, the scary thing is, God will never call us to do something that we can do alone. He promises his divine power. He promised that he will strengthen us with his divine strength. Now, this doesn't mean we, will go, we can go forever without eating, uh, forever without drinking or sleeping. We will die if, if we continue that. There's a limit to our physical extreme that we can endure. But he is saying that when we come to that place, that bottom place of knowing that I don't have it in me, that's when he gives his power. He gives us strength that only he can give to bring himself most glory. If you know anyone who has a pacemaker in their body, you know that it only ticks when the heart doesn't work. It has sustaining power. As long as the heart functions properly, the pacemaker won't need to kick in. But at the moment that the heart doesn't, that's when the pacemaker takes over. For those of us who trust in Jesus, there is a reservoir of spiritual power in Jesus that he promises when we come to the end of our resources. But until we get to that place, that bottom, that pit, that 
emptiness where we need God's power, we won't be able to learn. That's why we need to experience, we, we need to learn contentment in both highs and lows, as reminded here. Contentment essentially works this way. We learn it as we trust in God's way and God's sovereignty, as we learn to embrace God's providence that he will provide, and in a deep, personal way, as we go through the highs and lows, that he is in control and that he's working out all things for his glory and our good, that he is in control of every season, every timing and opportunity, You know, Apostle Paul hasn't been supported by the Philippian church for 10 years. They did 10 years ago, but for the next 10 years, who knows what happened. But Paul's not bitter. No, he simply says, you know what? God didn't give you the opportunity. It just wasn't meant to be. And there's no, like, remorse or just disdain of any kind or even disappointment. He's okay. He's actually content. Because he knows that God is in control. And seasons and time and opportunities are also controlled by God. And this is probably the most important truth. Until and unless we get that point. Unless we trust that God is sovereign. Unless we are going through those places of highs and lows. And learning that God is in control of ordering everything for his purpose and our good. We will never truly experience contentment. Maybe you might be able to experience stoical contentment where you just stop caring, but not biblical contentment where you're growing in love and trust of God and growing in loving and serving those that God has placed in your life. Paul is able to be rest assured that as long as he works as hard as he can, he can be content knowing that God is in control of all the results. Are you discontent? Then the biggest question you need to be asking yourself is, do you trust in God's sovereignty and providence? Instead of going to the specifics of, oh, I don't have this, I don't have that, oh, I have this in my life, oh, what a mess. No, the biggest question that you need to be working through in your heart is, am I trusting that God is sovereign? that we believe in a providential God who provides for our need, for his glory and our good in his time, that he's in control? Or do we not believe that and embrace that? There are dangers of health and wealth preachers. You won't see them preaching through the life of Paul because life of Paul isn't something that they would want to imitate. You might see them picking verses out of context and saying one thing. They preach that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy instead of learning to be content with what the Lord has allotted us. Health and wealth preachers simply reflect the utter discontented culture of our days leading to discontented church. I didn't believe this when I first heard, but there's one church, I won't name which church, this is what they pray when they give offering. They ask that God would give them jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, salaries, sales, commissions, favorable settlements, estates and inheritance, interest and income, rebates, etc., etc. It's like, seriously? 
See, they love the gifts more than the giver. They want their best life now instead of an eternity. Instead of making deposits in the future eternity that awaits, they want that now. I want to encourage you, if you haven't listened to this week's podcast, episode 6, you should check out um, Dear Church Gathered podcast. Um, It's on Prosperity Gospel. Um, I think it will help you go deeper in understanding. Now, Paul, Apostle Paul is, in writing this letter and in closing this part, is thanking God again for the Philippian church's generosity. Now, the Philippian church is exceedingly poor, but they have been exceedingly generous. They are probably more poor than any other churches that he knows of, yet this church is the one that has stepped up to minister to him. And he wants to make sure that they don't misunderstand him. Because we probably experienced this too, you know. Someone sends you a thank you letter, and it's like, "Mm, by the way, send me more. He wants to make sure that that's not what's happening. He's content. He's been content. Um, And he's not asking for more support. And this is, you know, what what we see here. Um, Paul is content and he's grateful. And, you know, he points out that at the end, the most important thing that he wants for them is their spiritual well-being. Um, he's not thinking of what more can he gain for himself, but he's, his joy and gratefulness is not necessarily receiving the gifts himself, but that they are in giving to the Lord by sending and supporting him, storing up treasures in heaven. His greatest joy is that Christians, believers, fellow Philippian Um, Church members are laying up treasures in heaven. He is grateful, yet his delight is not in receiving gifts for himself, but rejoicing that they are growing in um, laying up rewards in heaven. He reminds us that God is not our, uh, it's not one's debtor, and that God will reward. That God has his divine mathematics, divine economics. And just as they gave sacrificially, God would give, will give generously for their needs. Apostle Paul is not interested in him consuming things, but in the spiritual blessing that came to others. Not in his benefits accruing more, but that they are accruing eternal dividends in life. And in verse 19, we see this, this verse, and he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Just as Philippian church gave sacrificially until it hurt them, God will give according to his riches in glory. God will give generously. Now, I think it's important to realize here, according to his riches, not out of his riches. If you're a rich person, if you're a millionaire if you're, and you're giving out of your riches, you can still give 5, 10, 20, 100 bucks. But if you're giving according to his riches, then that's going to reflect um, what he has. He's going to be giving generously. And that's the promise that um, he's giving to the Philippian church. Throughout the Bible, we are reminded, and we're going to get to the 10th commandment later on as we continue through the catechism of not coveting, but we are called to be content. And throughout the Bible, Apostle Paul, even in 2 Corinthians twelve ten, says, for the sake of Christ, he says, then I am content with weaknesses, 
insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. And in Hebrews 13, uh, verse 5, the writer teaches us, Keep your life free from love of money, but be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Brothers and sisters, as we continue um, this COVID stay-at-home order, and as we continue through this uncertain time, uh, our hope and prayer is that we learn the secret of contentment that the Bible teaches. I want to close with um, some words from a writer of long ago by the name of Jeremiah Burroughs. Um, it's a book titled The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And he sums up his conclusion this way. He says that to be well-skilled in the mystery of Christian contentment is a duty, glory, and excellence of a Christian. Let me read that again. That to be well-skilled in the mystery of Christian contentment is a duty, glory, and excellence of a Christian. He reminds us that at the end of the day, Christian contentment is a work of the heart. He says that Christian contentment is sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Brothers and sisters, we are mere pilgrims here. Um, Jeremiah Burroughs um, reminds us in his short book that we are mere pilgrims. Um, We're coming, this life is like entering a, an inn for a stay. And you might see different things in the inn that's not, that doesn't belong to you. But why be troubled with what you don't have? This stay is at best, what, 100 years? Compared to eternity, we don't take any of this with us. As we continue during this season, may we also learn as you go through the highs and lows, this contentment as we continue to grow in trusting that our God is in control of everything and he's working everything out for his glory and our good. May we believe and trust in that. Later on, as we go into time of post-service, there's an old song you're going to sing together or maybe play. It's titled Jehovah Jireh means Jehovah, my provider. It came out in 86, along with other classics like Give Thanks and I Will Celebrate. For some of you guys who know the song, these songs, then um, I know how old you are too then. But I want to encourage you, whether we continue singing these songs, um, may we continue to meditate on the truth, um, knowing whom we worship. Join me as we pray. Lord God, during this season of COVID pandemics, Lord, we need to learn the secret of contentment by trusting that you, O oh Lord, 
are in perfect control. Whether or when we have little or a lot, we need to learn to be content by trusting that you are in perfect control for your glory and our good, and that you grant us the supernatural strength and the power to be content no matter the circumstance. Would you increase in us a discontentment and hatred towards sin and injustice and contentment in your providence and divine strength? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.